Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. William Joseph Hill is today's guest on Taekwondo Life Magazine Live. My name is Mark Sirianis. I'm your host. I'm a third Don Black Belt, and I'm the editor-in-chief of Taekwondo Life Magazine. William Joseph Hill is a martial artist, lifelong martial artist. He is a an actor. He has done television, film, commercial work. He is a content creator. And most recently, he is a first-time debut novelist. William Joseph Hill came to my attention for his debut book signing for his new book, Cyber Fighter, the first installment of a fictional martial arts sci-fi action-adventure trilogy at an event which was held at the Martial Arts History Museum in California. There are those of you who may remember Michael Matsudo, himself a martial artist and the founder of that museum, was one of the earliest guests that we had on this podcast. As martial artists, we and as Taekwondo practitioners, I, I know that for myself, we voraciously consume martial arts content. We love martial arts movies. We like to read martial arts magazines. And when we have the opportunity to pick up a exciting, engaging martial arts action novel, we do that as well. And this is written by a man who isn't writing through supposition about what he what he thinks about martial arts, but writing from from experience. I enjoy talking to him. I look forward to the unfolding of his exciting trilogy, and I hope you enjoy this program. Well, today we are speaking with William Joseph Hill. William is an actor, a writer, martial artist, and he came to my attention because he was doing a book signing for his new book at the uh, Martial Arts History Museum in California. As those of you that may remember from a prior uh, episode, we had the, the honor and the privilege to speak to Michael Matsuda, and uh, we follow him very carefully. And uh, last week, Sometime there was a book signing there for uh, William Joseph Hill's new book, Cyberfighter. So, sir, thank you for joining us. We appreciate your time and uh, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Yeah, Michael is so fantastic. It was such a wonderful event there at the Martial Arts History Museum. The book signing, so many family, friends, and fans that came out to support me. It was, it was overwhelming. It was, it was a really great experience. Well, that's great, and I'm not surprised. And yeah, we certainly are a large. Uh, fans of of him and the work that he does, uh, and and the unbelievable way that he manages to promote cultural exchange and uh, understanding of the martial arts and martial arts history. So, do you do you know do you have a longstanding relationship with him, or is this the first um, interaction and, and event that you've done with the with Michael and with the museum? Oh well, I've kind of known Michael a little bit more casually for the past few years. I've attended Dragon Fest. For a few years and then my wife actually i first met michael and my wife so my birthday surprised me took me to the museum which i had no idea existed you know i've been doing martial arts my whole life so it was kind of funny that this one slipped by me but she she always looks up for good things online to, to do and she discovered it and so i met michael he was so awesome and uh 
And it was really fascinating because, you know, he got a lot of his training in monkey style Kung Fu. And I had done sure. a film where I, where I did a cinematic version of monkey style, not authentic monkey Kung Fu, but a, a cinematic version of it, which was fun. So we kind of were able to connect on that respect. But yeah, Michael recently published his own book. And then he's always said to authors, he's always recommended, you know, especially if they're sure. martial arts related, they have, have these signing at the museum and, Pamela and I thought, wow, that's perfect, perfect location. And because we love the museum and, and love having it then, it's a way to kind of like get more uh, exposure for him as well. That's great. That, that is great. And that's certainly how it came to my attention. So, uh, and I want to speak a little bit about the book, but let's roll back a little bit to the beginning for you in terms of your foray into the martial arts and martial arts training. Tell us a little bit about that. Where did you, where did you grow up? I grew up, so I'm a Navy brat. My dad was in the Navy, so I was born in Rhode Island. So I'm a native New Englander, but I actually was raised in Southern California in Hawaii because he was stationed on, on ships. He was a destroyer captain, so we deployed a bunch. and We were in Hawaii for 10 years, so I always say that that's where I really grew up because that was the longest sure. chunk of time that I spent in my childhood. And we were stationed uh, on Ford Island, which is in the middle of Pearl Harbor. It was the site of the 1941 attack. So it's a very historic place to grow up. And the house, our house was actually built in 1923. So it was there when the attack happened. Oh, wow. So there's, there's like history all around me. And every day going to school, I'd have to take a ferry because they didn't build. Right now, there's a bridge that can take you over to Ford Island. They got a lot of tourists up there now. But when I was growing up there, it was just all military only, and you had to take a ferry, so you had to be in the military to get, or, you know, a dependent. And it's interesting because they actually started uh, the karate school, the karate uh, branch of a karate school on base at the base gymnasium on Fort Island, which was in an old airplane hangar from World War II that was converted into the gym. And now it's actually the Aviation Museum. So if you go there now on Fort Island, you visit Pearl Harbor, and you go to the Aviation Museum where they got all these airplanes from World War II and whatnot, and the big museum in that hangar across from the uh, Red and White Air Tower, that is actually the location I began my martial arts journey. Wow. In the hangar, yeah. So it's kind of cool. In a way, it's like an indirect uh, museum for me, too. But there's, you know, sure, you have to sure. know the story behind it, yeah. So how is it that you came to start to study martial arts? What was So so you have that, that level of uh, accessibility, but what was the draw for you for, for studying the martial arts? Was it something that you're... Your your folks wanted you to to become involved in, or was it something that uh, you always wanted to do? Or was it from watching television? What was what was the draw? Yeah, okay. So I have to rewind the tape just a few more years <laughs> back before we moved to Hawaii. Uh, in sixth grade, we had like a sixth grade camp in the summer, and they had movie nights. And so what they would do is they would get sixteen millimeter prints of like Hollywood movies. You know, third run at that time it was like sure. second third run. And one night they actually screened Enter the Dragon. And I had heard the name Bruce Lee growing up. I had, you know, friends of mine who, or who had older brothers and stuff would drop his name left and right. And I'd be like, God, don't, that didn't register with me. Sure. And then I saw him actually on the big square screen because we had like a 60 millimeter print and, and him kicking and, and doing everything. And that, that, that whole scene in the beginning with, with the student where he's just like, it is like a finger pointing away to the moon and he slaps him on the face and on the head. And it was just like, wow, I want to learn how to do that. 
so that kind of like piqued my interest. And from that moment on, it was kind of whenever I would see uh, martial arts, I would be like, oh, yeah, I want to learn it. I want to learn it. And then the Karate Kid came out and we uh, rented that on VHS. And and the next day in our mailbox was a flyer saying they're going to start a karate class up at that Fort Island gym. So I was like, Mom, can I can I take it? And she was like, sure. Yeah. And I was I was surprised because, you know, as a kid who always wants to do stuff, usually you see your parents saying no or sure. well, maybe or this. and that. But she was just like she was on board. I think, you know, the, I think because the movie was such a positive influence on the martial arts, it kind of like it was the perfect timing. So it was like, great. <laughs> right. All right, right. That's interesting. And, and those, you know, it, 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 it's interesting because uh, in terms of the influence, particularly of people that are probably a little bit today, you know, there's, there's a lot more exposure to, to martial arts through a number of different places and the availability yeah. and accessibility is a lot greater, certainly than when I started, but probably two of the, the most significant and influential pieces of media in terms of getting people to become involved in the martial arts are the two that you just mentioned, and, and you happen to have both of them, sort of one to the other, right? With uh, Enter the Dragon, for a whole generation of, of folk, really was, was essential. It was, it was really the key piece of media that got folks involved. And The Karate Kid is probably, a, again, one of the greatest upticks in people's uh, interest in, in martial arts. Um, so, so it's very, very interesting that, that both of those are were, um, were part and parcel of your, you know, your, your journey. Now, in oh, terms of yeah. style and in terms of, of your involvement, it, uh, obviously you, you said it was as a result of getting a, um, a flyer uh, saying that you know, there was a, a karate school. But in terms of style and, and your choice of style, was that, that was simply the basis of it. Was there any understanding at that time for you of distinction of style, what karate was, what taekwondo was, what kung fu was, or was it simply a matter of the fact that it was all martial arts for you going into it as it is for so many of us? Oh, it's so funny. I have to share this story because it was interesting. After I had started taking classes there, my mom was like, you know, Bill, I have to share this with you. I'm like, what, mom? She's like, when we first moved on the island, they were going to have a taekwondo class and they were looking for the parents to sign up, anybody interested. So she signed me and my brothers up and we were the only people that really cared about a Taekwondo class. The rest of the island, I don't know, they were apathetic or something, or they just didn't sign up, so they didn't have it. So I was like, wait, you mean I couldn't learn Taekwondo? When I... That's <laughs> so, hysterical. Yeah, because I'm like, you know, a lot of the – I was always attracted to the kicks. And so and so even though I got my training, the, the style that, that was there that was on Fort Island was Okinawan Kempo. And to me, I was like, karate is karate – except that we wore black geese. So I was kind of like, oh, I'm used to the white geese. Well, I guess black's better because sure. it doesn't get dirty as easy. But, you know, and then people would be confused, like, are you talking about Ed Parker's camp? And I said, no, no, it's actually, it's more of a traditional Okinawan style of, uh, of, of camp sure. and stuff like that. So style-wise, it was like, it was a matter of, of convenience then. But, you know, as your martial journey continues and, you meet people from other styles and you're like, I want to learn that kick. And I, so I had a lot of friends who did Taekwondo, especially when I moved here to Los Angeles and started pursuing film and television work. A lot of my martial arts friends, they were all uh, Taekwondo black belts. So they sure. kicked like fantastic and their kicks are beautiful. I'm like, right, I need to learn how to do that. And so I would just, I would steal their, you know, steal the moves from them. Like, Oh, okay. And I'm a, I'm a natural Southpaw. So 
I mean, I have to learn everything on my left, left side and then translate it to the right side. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it was, it was funny. I, you, you know, when you're in cinema and you're a performer, you kind of like learn maybe not the authentic real styles, but enough of like that. I, ca I call it the cinematic style to where you can sure. look like you're doing it on screen. Like I got my SAG card on a Hebrew national commercial where I did Tai Chi. So the audition oh, wow. was like, they wanted people come in and do Tai Chi. And I'm like, well, I dabbled in it, but as far as like, could I tell you a really young style or chin style now, but I at least know the names and I, I, I know the opening moves and that, yeah, I just do a couple of that. And, and they were like, great, looks good. So, you know, a lot of producers are not really well-versed in the martial arts. So they're just like looking for somebody who looks good enough on screen to pull it off. And that's all you need, need to do. Unless, of course, you're doing a stunt fight. I and mean, then that's a completely different uh, sure. skill. Sure. And, and, and it's interesting. It's, and you raise a good point. And I think a lot of this has, has changed and probably for the better. But when I, we had interviewed uh, Stephen uh, Lambert, who uh, stuntman, extraordinary stuntman. Oh, yeah. And he had done... Yes, he a number of things, but one of the things he had done is, I think, an episode of Fantasy Island, and uh, the, it had called for somebody to, who was proficient in kung fu, and all of the things that they had were related to karate, and he sort of educated them, I think, on the distinction between um, kung fu and karate, and, and it, it was just amazing to him how little they, you know, they, they, they wanted to work the martial arts theme in, into the program, but really didn't have any real understanding of it at all, even from, from the standpoint of the writers. And then I, you know, later on, he, he talked a lot about the struggles of, um, he ended up playing, acting as uh, getting permission to, to stunt for some of the women because there were just not enough female martial artists, stunt, stunt women at the time. And, and, and he was the only person who was available and who was skilled and was able to do all the things that he did. So it's really interesting to see some of the progression of that to some of the real greater understanding that the public has and that um, cinema people have regarding um, the martial arts. So, so tell me a little bit about your, your journey. You, you use the term martial journey, which I love. Tell me about your, your martial journey. So you, you got involved. You, you had this interest. You, you went and started studying um, karate. And, and where does that lead? How long do you do that? Uh, before you turn to other styles and, and how does that lead into what it is that you do for a living? Yeah. So, you know, a lot of people, when they start in the martial arts, especially like a karate style or, or Taekwondo that has a belt system, a lot of people are like, I want to get the black belt. I want to get the black belt. And it was funny because like when I, I remember my first lesson was like July 2nd. So it was like right before the 4th of July weekend. I was just like, I just wanted to learn. I mean, the belt thing was kind of cool. I was happy having a white belt too. I was like, oh, this is cool. I got an actual belt and I had to learn how to tie it. And I spent my first couple of days going over and over. Once the senpai showed me how to tie it, I was just like, oh, okay. Well, I got to practice, practice, practice till I could do it without, you know, thinking about it. Um, and so like my first week, I was like, I mastered the belt time just because I practiced it so much. Um, so to me, it was like, I wanted to learn how to be good. And I think because, my whole life too, I wanted to be, and, and been wanting to be a filmmaker. And so I'm doing that as well. So I always had this eye on definitely martial arts, part performance art, and then also part, you know, self-defense and fitness and all that other stuff, which kind of came out of it. But there was always this love for like being able to physically do something that not everybody can do. And like back when breakdancing and popping was, was, was popular. I was doing that too. And oh, you wow. know, with that, you're kind of self-taught. So the first few years, I'm not good at it, <laughs> and then you, and then you get this this thing where like you hit you, you pass puberty and you're like in the middle of like your adolescence, and then you kind of like 
oh, okay, you get your you get your coordination on, and then all of a sudden it became easier. And then I think it it it, it also helped when I started uh, karate training as well to kind of like just. I was just like a sponge. I just wanted to learn whatever they were teaching me. I was just like, I wasn't questioning anything. To me, I didn't understand styles so much as that, oh, it's a different school and stuff. And then I would see the kata is different. And then I'd see, hey, the Taekwondo guys, their poomsas looked a lot like some of our kata and stuff. And then you realize, sure. oh, yeah, it all kind of comes from the same origin. But as it's diversified, you know, everything becomes its own its own thing. And so it's a matter of, you know, my style uh, in Hawaii, they were very big on, on traditional competition too. So a lot of times the forms that we, we didn't really do too much bunkai or what the form means and stuff. Sure. It was kind of like more for the aesthetics or for the, the tournaments. Cause our, the guys that the, my senpai, a lot of the upper black belts, they were like winning trophies left and right. Cause they were really, really good. And, and especially with their point fighting, they were very fast. And I was like, I was not that good in point fighting, and I, it frustrated me. So I started doing full contact on my own. Uh, and basically, you know, the same gym that I began my training at, I, I ended up getting a job there, like my first job. And so when I would run the gym, I'd meet these Marines and Navy SEALs that would actually come and work out. And the ones that'd see me hitting on the bag, and they'd go, oh, oh, you got some, yeah, let's spar. And, you know, I had 12-ounce boxing gloves and some headgear and say, okay, sure. And a lot of the the Marines were like untrained. And so they, they try to hit you sure. as hard as they could. And you would learn very quickly, Hey, this punch and kick is not as effective as I thought until you like, you know, get tired of showing control and okay, then you got to hit them one time and knock, knock one, knock the wind out of one of them. And then, then they don't want to play anymore. And it's kind of, that's not fair. It's like, they like beating up on you, but as soon as you hit back, it's like, ah, I'm done. Bye. All right. That's interesting. Yeah. And it's a great opportunity on your end to, um, evolve your training into a practical uh the practical applications and be able to to discern what what works and what doesn't work for the purpose of of being able to um really really grow your your style yeah let me ask you one one question that sort of maybe maybe isn't apparent is so you came from a military background and you were yes. um in a military surrounding was that ever something that you had contemplated or that was never part of where your your mindset was in terms of where you wanted to, to develop your own path? I think before I realized, and it was very, very young, I think the original Star Wars movie came out and I saw that. And then I, when I found out that, hey, people actually do that as a job, then I was like, going, I want to do that. But before then, I think, you know, as a kid, very young kid, I didn't understand that, my, you know, having a dad in the Navy was a rare thing. I figured everybody's kid or wore a khaki uniform and went off to a ship <laughs> until I realized, no, oh, no, that's kind of that's kind of weird and unique and kind of different. And I was kind of like, oh. And I think, it, so I always I always joke about like, yeah, the family business was the military and I just didn't go into the family business because uh, I have a, a brother who's in the Coast Guard and then I have a, another brother who works with the Navy. So yeah, the military is like, it, it's in my blood, but I always wanted to go to Hollywood. So I was sure. like, I'd rather play a Navy SEAL than be a Navy SEAL. So. Sure, sure. That's, that's great. So that's interesting. So tell me about that. Tell me how does your journey into, you know, you, you're in the middle of, of studying the martial arts and you're yeah. in this environment in Hawaii. How does that transition <laughs> into your um, foray into the, the, the entertainment industry? 
Well, interestingly enough, uh, coinciding with my Marshall journey was also my filmmaker's journey. I started making movies roughly about the same time I began training. So I finally conned my mother into letting me use the Super 8 camera for my first couple. And then after a while, I realized how expensive film was. And then I said, hey, wait, VHS is cheap. <laughs> so sure. uh, in high school, I actually... I, I like to say conned, but no, I didn't really con them because I really thought it was cool. The, the head of the AV department actually let me borrow the school's video camera so that I could film a ninja movie with, with my bro- my sister and brothers. I'm the oldest of five, so I had I had a built-in cast that I could count on. And then and neighborhood kids that is like some, other ninjas. That is, that, that is something <laughs> we have in common. I'm one of five as well, and we did all the same kind of things. That's great. Yep. So that's kind of how that started. And I realized quickly, like, what's well, a low-budget ninja costume? Because the ninja costumes, even back in the day at the magazines, it was still, you're still paying 40 bucks for a whole set. And then you have kids. It's like, well, that's not going to fit. But then I realized, oh, you have a dark T-shirt, turn it inside out to hide the logos, and use the, the where you stick the neck through. You got your little visor and tie the sleeves behind your head, and there you go. You got a ninja mask. That's great. Whatever the imagination will, uh, and a little ingenuity, right, will uh, will will lend itself. Well, that's great. Yeah. So how does how does that go from making? How does that transition from being creative and acting and and producing and directing uh, VHS films in your backyard into um, a professional career? How does that transition happen? So I knew when my dad retired, our family we had a you know we had a residence down in San Diego, and he was going to return when he retired. And so at the time I graduated college, I decided I want to go back to San Diego because it's a lot easier to come up to Los Angeles from San Diego than to buy a plane ticket from Hawaii. Sure. So instead of staying in Hawaii, I kind of came back with the family, stayed in San Diego for a few years, began uh, professionally training as an actor down there in some acting classes. And then I started auditioning up in L.A. And at some point, the mileage was just killing me. And then I realized it. I got to make the move. And, and then once I made the move, you know, my dad was like, well, shouldn't you wait till you have a gig? And I'm like, dad, if I don't go out, I won't make the networking connections and meet people. That's kind of how you build gigs. And it's so true. You kind of like have to be there to, sure. to do it. So, but all the while, like pursuing, you know, acting, you know, you're going out on normal commercial auditions or film and television auditions, and you're not always getting called in for, martial arts roles because a lot of times when i would uh submit myself back in the days of drama log and you mail it in they'll call you in and they basically line you up with all the other big buff guys and say well as a caucasian guy you kind of have to be pretty tall and pretty buff because i have more of like the physique of bruce lee but i'm not asian so it's kind of like yeah you're a little too small to be the white guy <laughs> so that's the right, big sure. muscular you know, the Scott Adkins looking guys. And I'm like, yeah, that's not me. <laughs> right, right, Scott right. Adkins can, can move and he can kick. And it's like, oh, yeah, I don't think I no, Cause he's in, he's in England. So I didn't get a chance to try to go up against him. There's no way I would have been able to do anything. <laughs> but, but it was, but I mean, watching some of those, but like TJ Storm and all those other guys who are like really big in the industry. Now TJ Storm, um, I remember auditioning a couple of his projects way back in the day. Now he does a lot of motion capture, which is fantastic. And, and, you know, it, it's a, such a small-knit community, but so many of the guys that I would hang with and do martial arts and stuff, they were professional stunt guys. And, and because of they not only did, like, a more acrobatic style like a taekwondo, um, especially, but they would also, a lot of the schools out here, 
either they incorporate it into the curriculum or these people just like took classes in gymnastics as well. So they're already doing tumbling and enhancements and something like, that. oh, yeah, I skipped that one. <laughs> so I'm not sure. doing all the aerial flips and stuff, but yeah, it's some impressive stuff that they could do. But at some point, I would work out with a bunch of guys that were making their own independent films. And I, you know, they really liked me a lot because I'm very comedic and I look a lot like Jim Carrey. So that, that was kind of like a big uh, selling point for me because at the time, In Living Color was huge and Jim Carrey, and Jim Carrey actually had launched his film career. And so he was like the big thing in the 90s. So I'm like, yeah, I kind of look like Jim. And they're like, yeah, yeah, you do. And then I'm like, uh, hey, maybe we should do like a vehicle where, you know, something that around like somebody like a character I could play. And he's like, well, I don't have one. Do you have anything? And I'm like, well, no, but I could write one. And so that's where I first wrote the script for Cyberfighter, uh, the book. So it started off as a actually a feature film screenplay. Wow. So tell me about tell me about let's let's make um, the transition, and we could always go back to some of the other stuff. And I wanted to talk to you, of course, about sure. Four Sco- uh, Scorpio Productions. But tell me about this. This is exciting, and um, you know, there's a, there there are a number of uh, martial arts books that are out there. But certainly most of them are either biographical, autobiographical, or they're, um, they are of the basis of their technique-based, right? Uh, Pumse yeah. books or sparring books. When I saw that there was a new book out and it had a martial arts theme uh, and that it was a work of fiction, sci-fi, martial arts, action, adventure, a little bit of comedy, Cyberfighter, it really struck my interest. So, so tell me a little bit about, about this. How does that screenplay make its uh, foray into into this novel and then tell us about certainly where we can find it and and and, and we'll, what the future holds in terms of this this book oh for sure yeah so the first so when we're going back to my filmmaker friend and saying like well do you have uh you have a project or you have a script i'm like oh i could write one and so i'm like oh great now i gotta write myself something i'd written scripts before and stuff but this was like the first time i was like oh somebody's actually going oh write something i'm like okay great uh so the first thing brainstorming is like okay i knew it was a martial art i want to do the martial art thing and I'm, I'm so i write down every potential martial art plot you know the tournament movie the you know the blood sport movie or like with chuck norris it's always a cop movie and then i'm like or you have the like the karate kid where they're learning the martial arts and I'm like okay well that has the most character growth character arc so I'm like going, okay but I'm like going, yeah but they did the karate kid and what and then I realized at the time this was in 1999 so the matrix had come out and I was like ah yeah so what if he learns martial arts really fast and I'm like okay well the matrix did that I'm like okay so how do I put a spin on that whereas in the matrix Neo was a Superman and had all these abilities inside the matrix. And then in the real world, he was just a schlub. So in, instead I kind of came up with this idea. Okay. Well, what if they're actually programming your brain, like, and your neurons. So they hook up all these electrodes to you and they're stimulating your muscles to, the, to learn the muscle movements. To the, and you're like under for like 72 hours. It's like a lucid dream. And when you wake up, you know, 47 different styles of martial arts. So I'm like, Oh, okay. Put that at the time it sounded far-fetched not so much anymore now apparently it's kind of like turning into science fact which is kind of like sure, sure. <laughs> but that was the initial genesis of like the the idea and that was a basic 
concept. The original draft of the script, I think, was just like less than 90 pages. So it was very short, very sparse. But over the years, rewriting and writing it, and then having people who are interested in coming on board as producers, uh, having pulled off to other projects, or because this one, I, I always intended of doing it independently instead of trying to sell to the studio because I wanted to be in it. So I knew that I had to do it myself. And this was sure. before they had crowdfunding, before YouTube even existed. So it was kind of like back then when I did a breakdown for how much it was going to cost a lot of money because you had to shoot it on film. And even though digital cinema was just starting back then, uh, if you wanted anything, even in a festival, it's like you had to shoot it on film or you had to do a film print at some point, which is a, a huge cost. So it's kind of like in ways it, it, it's taken this long just because of the technology had to catch up with the vision. And then over the years, the script going through it, the story expanded and I had a few script readings with a lot of great feedback. Uh, the last time I had a, a big script reading, public reading of it, I think one of the, the big comments that I had, I think was in essence, like I had 10 pounds of potatoes in a five pound bag. So the story was so big that people were like losing it. So then I realized, no, well, I think I have a trilogy here. And then uh, back in 2014, I finalized the feature script, and then I pulled it out, I think, uh, a few years later at the time uh, when Ready Player One came out in the movie theater, and I realized that was based on a novel. And then it occurred to me, oh, uh, maybe I should just take the screenplay and actually turn it into a novel and self-publish it on Amazon. Uh, because at the time, I think... Uh, the guy who wrote The Martian, he, he actually self-published. And yeah. he he actually, his first like few chapters he released on his blog. And I was like, okay, well, that, that's cool. Andy Weir, I think is his name, really, who, who wrote The Martian. But it was like, oh, that, so it kind of made me click and go, okay, well, I never, try, and, and it's funny because with a screenplay, you have to be very minimal in what you're describing. So sure. adverbs and adjectives are your enemy. You, you you don't want to use any modifiers. You want to keep it basic, simple, a lot of white space. And then a novel, I always thought, I don't know if I can write a novel because you've got to expand on it. But then once I knew the structure, because I just take the screenplay out and go, this is the structure of the story. Now all I get to do is elaborate, go into everybody's head, talk about their thoughts, this, you know, this whole thing. And next thing you know, it just, it just flowed. And it was just like, oh, that was fantastic. So I spent about a year uh, just writing the, the original draft of the manuscript and then another year just going through and, and editing it down to the final version, which I published on Amazon. And Amazon is great because they have these tools that let you, like you want to self-publish it, you you can format the Kindle and the paperback using their same software. They're, uh, I think it's Kindle Create software. You download your computer and you upload your Word document and then you can just edit in there. And it's like, it's fantastic. Well, that, that that is great. That is great, and and it is uh, a testament to your uh, tenacity and and your uh, persistence. I mean, the ability to 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 do this type of writing, whether it be um, screenplay writing, novel writing, uh, both very unique skill sets, um, and to be able to to do that in in and transform from uh, and transition from one to the other. Um, is is certainly a testament to your your patience and your and your desire to your passion to get this this project off the ground. So tell me about uh, now that it is um, it has now come to you're you're out there in the world. You've thrown it out to the world. 
How has the reception been for uh, Cyberfighter? What, what's your feeling on it now, and, and, and where do we go from here with it? Well, what, is, what is next for it? Is it, cyber, is it, is it going to be the – will there be the movie version? Will there be sequels? What, what can we expect from it? And tell us a little, oh, bit, of, um, a, a little bit about the, the plot itself in terms of – I know that, that you've talked a little bit about – I love this concept, right, of, of, of what if you could become a, a black belt of multiple styles in, in 72 hours. But is, is it something that is self-contained within this one version, or does it lend itself to a series? Oh, yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's, it's, so this, this actual book is the first of the trilogy, um, and the story is – you know, as I've been writing it and as I developed this thing over the years, I, I started to really, and I, I love science and science fiction and, and I watch a lot of YouTube, a lot of stuff on uh, psychology and science and things like that. And a lot of stuff about the brain too. And it's fascinating. Uh, there's a fascinating uh, series on YouTube that's given by this one, uh, Michael Stevens, who's like the host of Vsauce. He has this thing called, uh, 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 what is it called? Uh, it's a brain. I can't even think of it. So my brain's turned off right now. But uh, but it's all about the mind. Oh yeah, it, uh, mind field. That's what it's called. Mind field. Yeah, mind yeah. field. But mind field. Fantastic series. So as I'm developing this, I'm starting to realize that there are greater. You know, it, the story's developing more into like what is consciousness really, and what is the the actual soul, and and in the second and third book, of course, and then movies. Uh, it's going to go into that because the funny thing is like, so this is Brian, you know, the main character, he, he, he volunteers for this experiment. He's actually a semi out of work temping former video game designer who takes a temp job at a defense contractor where they con him into volunteering for this experiment. So he thinks he's like beta testing, like cool software, like an unreal engine or like an immersive 3d like Vader Unleashed type of like he put the Oculus on and you're like in this environment, but they actually program him with, with all of these, these skills and stuff. And then uh, they do a pitch for the Pentagon and DARPA and DARPA and the Pentagon love it. And they decide they're going to deploy him. <laughs> and so Brian has to make his escape because that wasn't part of his plan, even though he signed the contract without really reading it. So you've got the U S government that's out after him and then meantime halfway across the world a uh, triad gang boss Lao Xiaoming has this idea he has his own little program called Project Starfish which no spoilers but uh, it's world domination type of thing you know like these these uh, crazy maniacal uh, despotic wannabe emperors have in their mind so he realizes that this technology is the key to his thing off so he hacks into it and does a little something that kind of like involves him and all of the baddies that he's in charge of uh all of a sudden want me too so <laughs> i'm being pursued all over the place by the fbi the u.s army the triads and everybody so it's just like this big international comical <laughs> and in a way it's kind of like a a commentary on the military industrial complex too, a little bit kind of poking fun at everything like that. But because I kind of, I'd actually tempt at defense companies and stuff. So it's kind of like, yeah, I'd see all this stuff and I'm like, ah, write what you know. <laughs> no, you know what? I, I was just, it's, as you, as you almost took the words out of, out of my mouth, it, you know, I think that, that so much of uh, writings and, and, and film and screenplays and things that are successful 
come from a desire to um, take the basis of it as are things that we, we know and we understand and that we can talk comfortably about. And then, of course, we expand on it and we expound on it and fictionalize it. But, it, you know, it comes from a place where it has legitimacy and people can relate to it because they, they come to understand that, wow, this, 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 this person is giving me a real insight into a part of the world that they know a lot about, but I don't really yeah. know anything about. And it sounds to me like there's, there's a lot of that um, in, in, in this novel. So very, very exciting. And, and I look forward to um, following the, the, the journey and, and to see what happens with it as you, uh, as you continue to uh, uh, treat us with uh, additional installments. So I know that you said that uh, I know you're, ha- you're heavily promoting this, this edition now, uh, but you did say that it's, it's a trilogy. Um, do we have a, a potential release um, uh date down the road for uh, volumes two and three, or is that sort of up in, up in the air, or is that something that's, that's relatively um, scheduled at this point? Um, it's it's going to be down the line. Uh, right now, what I am immediately working on, along with this, is I'm doing an audiobook. Uh, in fact, I just started recording, and I'm just starting to edit and master the first few chapters that I've already recorded. So I'm in the process of that, which that should be released on Audible uh, pretty soon, as soon as I can get that out. And then I'm also working on, uh, of course, this is always, this. my intention is kind of like, you know, growing up with Star Wars is my big inspiration. It's like, yeah, I have the Star Wars book, which actually came out like before the movie came out. So I'm like, oh, okay, so this is good timing. I want to do the feature film. And one of the ways that I'm going to uh, manifest that is I'm doing a short film version of it. That, oh, wow. Uh, yeah, so... And because so in, in when my character goes into the program, it's all CG animation, and I've actually already done all of that. That's and in fact, I actually I did a sneak preview of part of the animated sequence in the short film at the book signing, which everybody really loved. That they were fantastic because I had a video. Michael had his uh, Blu-ray player with a huge screen. It was almost as big as like a like a multiplex cinema. So it was like a really good screen, and the sound sounded great, which is very important whenever you're screening something. Sure, um, sure. And it, it, it went over really great. Um, so all that I need to do is uh, raise the funding for the live action portion, which of course is going to have a lot of the fights and all the sure. you know the live action a- aspect of it. Um, and that's what I'm going to be working on simultaneously. And then I think once those show that they have legs and people are interested in it. Of course, the next movie is funny because I, I know where the story is going to end. I'm, I'm still got to map out how I got to get there. And it's, it's kind of funny because sometimes you, you know the germ of the idea. I mean, you might know what the ending is going to be. And then you got to go, okay, now I got to justify right to kind of justify that. And I think there's a few different directions that it could, could be going. I have a, rough sketch of what the second book and the second film is going to be all about. But in a way, it's kind of like, I always say, it's like, yeah, the second act, it's like going to get a little bit darker, but not too dark. Cause I still like the comedic elements. I was really heavily influenced by Monty Python growing up and Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy is a funny sci-fi thing. So there's a little bit of that tongue in cheek thing in, in this book too. Well, that's great. That's great. And as we we're sort of, winding down in terms of time, but I wanted to hit on, and I think it's sort of related. Tell us a little bit about four uh, Scorpio productions. Tell, tell me, tell me what that is. How does that tie in? 
um, and, and what is the relationship between that and this book? Okay, for Scorpio Productions is actually my wife and I, uh, we, shortly after we got married, her brother actually, who dabbled a little bit in astrology, he actually did our birth charts, and he found that combined, we had four major planets in the constellation Scorpio, which I'm not sure I understand all the aspects of that, but it sounded really cool. And then shortly after that, I realized, hey, we should have a production company, and we should call it Four Scorpio Productions, because it's a, it's our company together. And we kind of sat on that for a few years. Well, I, you know, I always said that Cyber Fighter was the flagship production. So over the years, as we've been going, going through turnaround and revisions and all this other stuff, that was always on the, the burner. And then I think about 2015, we started just doing our own short films because uh, they had camera and I had filmmaking skills. And I'm like, you know, with YouTube, because we had a, a YouTube channel, uh, got – we got part of the, the YouTube partnership program because uh, back in 2009, I did a video that went viral. It was uh, Obama had just been elected, and Obama's from Hawaii. And I grew up in Hawaii, yeah. so there's a specific way that they talk in Hawaii that called Pidgin English, which apparently is not so much anymore. But when I was a kid there, it was big. Everybody would talk like this, back in the time, let that. So what I did was I did a, a video of Obama talking pitchy, but of course it's it's his voice and it's kind of his uh stuff like that and people so people loved it or they hated it. They really hated it. They sure. loved it and they would comment and it got me like almost half a million views. YouTube comes and knocking and says, Hey, you want to be part of the partnership program for ad revenue? I'm like, sure. And so that's how we get our, our channel started. And in two thousand fifteen we start like making short films and one of the short films we did was we did this little parody of the 60s, 70s, like sitcoms, like a Brady Bunch or Bewitched or That Girl, all that stuff with a laugh track. And I had to use uh, my Bruce Lee wig to give myself some hair so that I look like I have 70s hair. And we called it That Darn Girlfriend. And the, the pilot episode was, it was just like this cheesy little thing, like, you know, the boyfriend comes back in his three-piece business suit, 1970 suit, and he's just like, honey, that that plane ticket you, you booked for me, it was supposed to be for Paris, France. You made it for Paris, Texas. And it's like this, uh-oh, and the laugh track. And then there's a little, little song that my wife Pamela wrote, <laughs> and a little jingle, and she does that. And, and it has, like, little credits with little cartoons and kind of like uh, the old 1960s stuff. And everybody loved it. And they said, when's the next episode? And I'm like, oh, I guess we should make this a series. So we did. Uh, we're currently in the second season of that. And we basically produce episodes of That Darn Girlfriend usually like maybe once every one or two months. Usually we've got a, you know, an idea will hit us and then we'll brainstorm it, go into production on that. And within a week of shooting it, it only takes about a week of post-production. And then we've got it released on YouTube. But uh, yeah, it was like season one was uh, 12 episodes. And right now we just uh, recently released uh, episode four of season two, which is uh Everyone loved this one because it's called Magic to Do. Well, that that is great. That is great, and we will look for that, and we'll we'll post that in our uh, in our show notes. So uh, it sounds to me uh, like you, William Joseph Hill, you have a lot going on. A very creative, very upbeat, uh, and very very exciting to um, have come to uh, our awareness. And and I'm really happy to share um, a little bit of your journey and a little bit about what's going on with you um, with our audience. 
I, I know that uh, your your book uh, is available now uh, at Amazon.com and uh, other places. Where where else can they find that? Any place basically that uh, that books are sold, correct? Where they can find Cyberfighter. Actually, I am exclusive to Amazon. So if you just go to Amazon.com, you can order it as either paperback or Kindle version, whichever one you prefer. Some people, they love, they love the eBooks because they're so portable. Sure. And other people like, I mean, I like a paperback myself, but uh, eBook I, I is, uh, yeah. And, but eBooks are great. Like if you're on a plane trip or something like that, sure. and you don't have room in your luggage, but you can you carry on, you can carry your Kindle. Or, and now I think they have it like you, you can even read them on your tablet too. So if you got an iPad or something, you can, you can read it as well. But yeah, it's an exclusive thing with Amazon. Uh, Cause I'm thinking like, yeah, you know, if the, the short film is a hit and the books are hit. I can always go, Hey, Jeff Bezos, uh, Amazon studios might want to produce this. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. There's certainly, there's yeah. certainly an outlet. There's certainly a big outlet there. So, well, that is For great. Sure. And we're, we're going to, we're going to link uh, the buying. Uh, we'll uh, post the Amazon buying link in, in the show notes. And uh, it really has been a pleasure speaking with you. You are involved in so many different things. And like I said, when I, as soon as I saw that you were you were doing something with Michael Masuda and I saw, I saw a little bit about what that project was, um, I, I knew that, that you would be an interesting guest for our audience and somebody that I would really love to speak to. So um, I thank you so much for for your patience. Um, we, we, this call got off a little later than we had expected today because I had some technological problems and you were so gracious. And, and I certainly, um, I, I certainly do appreciate that. Um, I wanted to give you an opportunity to tell our audience where they can follow you. Again, we are going to post some of these things, but where they can find out what's going on uh, with you um, in the days after we post this episode and in the upcoming years, what would be the best place for people to follow your career um, whether that be the website or social media, um, on YouTube, what, what would be the best place for them to find out more about what's happening in, in the life of uh, William Joseph Hill? Oh, thank you so much, Mark. It's been a pleasure speaking to you as well. Uh, so, yeah, I have a website, williamjosephhill.com. Pretty easy, but just as it's spelled, so there's two H's sure. in there. Uh, my social media links are there as well, but if you look me up on Twitter, my Twitter handle is at for Scorpio, F-O-U-R-S-C-O-R-P-I-O, like for Scorpio Productions. My Instagram is William Joseph Hill, so you can easily spot me once you see the Cyber Fighter brand and you're like, oh, okay, this is definitely him. Um, with the shaved head, kind of a Jim Carrey looking guy with the shaved head, looks like Fire Marshal Bill now, but uh, yeah, yeah, this, that, that's my Instagram. <laughs> and, and so, yeah, and, and Facebook, there's all, there's a Facebook cyber fighter page too, which I'm going to start, especially as, as we get closer to like the crowdfunding campaign. I've been working on a lot of really cool digital rewards and doing a digital book with all the artwork over the 20 years, telling the entire story of like the inception and showing some of my early concept art. I'm creating these digital trading cards that look like, you remember the old top Star Wars cards that kind of look like oh, that. Oh, sure. So they're all they're all digital too because hey it's cyber fighter might as well have cyber rewards but uh, yeah so if you go to Facebook and look up cyber fighter that cyber fighter page you can be sure to like that because I'm going to start posting a lot more on that as things start to really ramp up here um, and yeah and and then also uh, forscorpio.com is our production company and that's f o u r s c o r p i o dot com too so if you want to check that out. With all of our other projects, I think we have links to all of our uh, That Darn Girlfriend 
You can also see that show on YouTube. So if you just go YouTube and you, you Google and YouTube, you search for that down girlfriend and you see the pink thumbnails with the little cartoon characters. That's it. It's not animated, but that's part of our branding. And so you easily spot it that way. Well, that is great. That is great. So William Joseph Hill, we wish you all success in the upcoming uh, year. We're going to post all of this, this information on our show notes. Um, we'll be following and looking closely. And as your um, projects come to light, we'll be highlighting them on our Facebook page and on our website uh, and looking forward to um, seeing the evolution of your life and career and the evolution of your exciting work, Cyberfighter. So thank you so much for talking to us today, and we wish you all the best. Oh, thank you, Mark. And as, as we say in, in Hawaii, mahalo nui loa, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure talking to you as well. My pleasure. With spending time in training and working on the podcast and the magazine, it is difficult for me sometimes to get out to the store or the supermarket. And when that occurs, I always rely on Instacart. A friend of mine introduced me to Instacart about a year ago, and it has really changed the way that I shop. I go on the computer or on my phone. I have multiple stores to choose from in the neighborhood. I can select all of my products for del delivery and it'll give me other alternative products based upon my preferences and it's really, really a helpful tool towards making your life a heck of a lot easier. No more worrying about trying to find parking at the supermarket or standing in line at the checkout counter. You can just do all of it from your computer. It'll help you save money by giving you suggestions on deals and by providing you alternative products. And shoppers will hand select your products, they'll bag them up neatly, and that they'll deliver them within a specified delivery window. I have never had a problem with the products, the groceries, or the service from Instacart. And if you follow the show notes and you let Instacart know that we sent you, They'll provide you free delivery on your first order of over $35. I highly recommend it, and I think that it, for me, has been one of the life-changing services that I've gotten involved with. I'm not a guy who does a lot of internet shopping, but this is something I don't like to be without. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.